Welcome to The Markets, Dateline Chicago, Friday, December 6. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. We'll be spending the next 30 minutes with you. I hope you'll be spending the 30 minutes with us as we take a look at markets globally and nationally Wall Street, the stock market, the Board of Trade Grains, and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Livestock Futures. Been quite a week, and it ended with a very strong performance today, solidly higher as a strong jobs report and optimism again about U.S.-China trade negotiations ahead of an upcoming deadline helped to stoke investor risk appetite. All three major U.S. stock indices gained ground, hovering within 1% of record highs that were set last week. But as a tumultuous week of contradictory trade news and mixed economic data drew to a close, only the S&P 500 posted a weekly gain. The Dow and the Nasdaq ended the session down from last Friday's close. And the numbers at the end of trade today for the day and the week, the Dow Industrial Average gained 337 points today, ending at 28,015. That's back above the 28,000 level. The S&P 500 gained 28 points today to end the week at 3146. And the NASDAQ gained 85 points today to end the week at 8656. And the VIX at the CBOE that we like to call the worry factor. It is always good news when that goes down, and today it was down nearly a point. It ended the week at 13.52. But the solid jobs reports that we got this week certainly helped the market. And... The U.S. Treasury yields rose after the strong employment report, and bank stocks had their best day in over a month, rising 1.6%. Of the 11 major sectors of the S&P 500, all but utilities closed in positive territory with energy, financials, and trade-sensitive industrials enjoying the biggest gains. Energy stocks were buoyed by a 1.1% rise in crude oil prices. And I'll talk more about the oil market situation. Uh, today, shares of Tesla up one and three quarters percent after revealing it would receive state subsidies for its Chinese-built Model 3 cars. And 3M Company advanced over 4% today after Bloomberg reported the company was exploring a sale of its drug delivery systems business. That could bring about $1 billion. And today we found some of the uh, uh, volume numbers uh, beginning to drop off as we move into the Christmas holiday period when a lot of traders take vacation and uh, we begin to see trading numbers um, go down during this holiday season. Global markets also were impacted by the U.S. uh, statistics today. Dollar rose, 
Global equity markets soared today after data showed the job growth in the United States had increased by the most in 10 months in November, and that put to rest recession fears and briefly took the spotlight off the contentious U.S.-China trade talks in the world stock trading today. The uh, European equities rallied with the pan-regional stock 600 index rising a little more than 1%. And the stronger-than-expected Labor Department data this week showed steady wage gains remained near their strongest in a decade, suggesting that consumers will continue to drive the longest economic expansion in U.S. history, now in its 11th year. So, uh, looking at some of the other stories today, uh, strong job growth showcased uh, resilience for the economy, and the unemployment rate ticked back down to its lowest level in nearly half a century, and wage gains remained near their strongest in a decade. That, according to the Labor Department in its monthly employment report, that was released today. Numbers suggest consumers will keep the longest economic expansion in history. And the report added to other fairly upbeat data on the trade deficit, housing, and orders for big-ticket goods. Together, the improving data appeared to indicate the Federal Reserve decision in October to signal no further interest rate cuts are needed for now. The U.S. Central Bank cut rates three times this year, starting in July, when it reduced borrowing costs for the first time since 2008. So it was a week of pretty good economic news and, of course, a quiet week on the earnings report list. So uh, let's look ahead to next week to see what's in store in the market. Before we do that, though, Oil made news this week as well. Oil prices up more than 1% today and posted sharp weekly gains after OPEC and its allies, joined by Russia, agreed to cut output by 500,000 barrels per day in early 2020. The additional cuts by the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and other major producers, including Russia, that's a grouping now known as OPEC+, Plus, will last throughout the first quarter. And the group will again meet in early March for an extraordinary meeting to set its policy. Brent futures settled today up 1.6%, $64.38 a barrel, and U.S. crude up one and a third percent to $59.20 a barrel. The OPEC cuts next year are in addition to the group's previous agreed curbs of 1.2 million barrels per day and will represent about 1.7% of global oil output. Now, let's look ahead to uh, to what's coming up next week. And first of all, the uh, Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee will start its two-day meeting on interest rates on Tuesday. Central Bank expected to keep interest rates 
on hold in the range of one and a half to one and three quarters. And on Friday of this week, the U.S. Commerce Department likely to report that retail sales gained four-tenths of a percent in November. Another report from the Commerce Department expected to show on the same day that business inventories rose two-tenths of a percent in October after being flat in the previous month. The Labor Department on Thursday expected to report in the 12 months through November. The producer price index for final demand rose 1.2% after advancing 1.1% in October. And initial claims for state unemployment benefits on Thursday likely to have increased to a seasonally adjusted 212,000 for the week ended December 7. Now, a couple of uh, earnings reports. Adobe expected to post an increase in fourth quarter and fiscal 2019 revenue driven by growth in its digital media business. Oracle Corporation expected to report an increase in second quarter revenue on Thursday, boosted by demand for its cloud services and license supports business. Lululemon Athletica Wednesday likely to post a double-digit increase in revenue and profit, helped by overseas sales and demand for its men's clothing line. And another uh, apparel marketer, American Eagle Outfitters, expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue on continued demand for its airy, intimate brand, coupled with improvement in its flagship brand, denim sales. So that's a little bit of what's coming up next week. The uh, other news that certainly impacted the market this week was was taken uh, a close look at. Uh, 3M is exploring a $1 billion sale of drug delivery systems until the uh, year comes to an end. So that reported by Bloomberg. And the uh, Federal Aviation Administration today said it was seeking a $3.9 million fine from Boeing for installing defective parts on about 130 of its 737 airplanes. This is what the FAA had to say. They allege that Boeing, quote, failed to adequately oversee its suppliers to ensure they complied with the company's quality assurance system. Boeing knowingly submitted aircraft for final FAA airworthiness certification after determining that the parts could not be used due to a failed strength test. Boeing did not immediately comment, but they have 30 days to respond to the proposed fine by the FAA. So that's a look at Wall Street. But who's that sitting in the studio with Max Armstrong to talk agricultural markets? Well, you'll find out when we continue 
on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Well, sitting at the microphone with me this weekend, a familiar face and voice from Zayner in Chicago, Mike Pearson. Glad to be back, Max. Always excited to talk about what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the world of agriculture. I wanted to tap your brain a little bit because you've been out at farmer meetings. You've been at Farm Bureau annual meetings. I have been. I have been. In the past two weeks, I had the chance to go to South Dakota and Iowa for their annual conventions. And I tell you what, in both places, there are still a lot of growers out there really struggling to get through 2019. Uh, South Dakota, the, the meeting was held in Sioux Falls, which was right at the epicenter of prevent plant catastrophe from this spring. So I was talking to a lot of growers asking how harvest is going. And they're like, well, we never got anything planted. So harvest is is done. But there was an equal mix of growers, especially from that northern tier of counties that, as of two weeks ago, still had a lot of corn standing, uh, standing through snowstorms, knock on wood. But they were frustrated because there just hadn't been a hard freeze to really get the combines out and running. Uh, you know, there, you get frost four or five inches down, the sun comes out, you mm-hmm. get that layer of grease on the top, and, and nothing can get accomplished. There was a lot of frustration in South Dakota and similar story in Iowa. A lot of growers in Iowa still dealing with propane issues, uh, still not able to get delivery. And it sounds like it's a little spottier now than it was earlier when it was kind of a blanket uh, unavailability of propane. But it's it's been a tough, tough harvest season for a lot of folks. So did you get any feeling about the economy and, and how they feel about their situation, especially looking ahead towards some discussions with bankers this winter? You know, by and large, the consensus was that with the market facilitation payments, uh, payments are going to be able to be made. You know, as we get into renewal season with their ag lenders, they're going to have, I think, tougher conversations this year, especially those folks that are still going to have corn standing, because how are you going to account for that on a balance sheet, especially if it's not something you've ever done before? You know, what's the lender going to think about that? But by and large, I would say, despite the present frustrations, Max, there seems to be quite a bit of optimism. And that's driven in no small part by the government payments that have gone out this year that have really enabled folks to keep the wheels turning. Now, I will follow up with this question because I'm going to be at State Farm Bureau meetings, well, this weekend and another one next weekend, Wisconsin and Indiana. Mm. Is it dangerous to judge the farm economy from what you hear among Farm Bureau members? Well, I would say it's... It's always a challenge to judge an economy based on anecdotal evidence, whether you're talking to Farm Bureau folks, whether you're talking to anybody. But um, the general consensus, whether you're you're talking to growers or, or elsewhere, is that, yeah, we've got it bad, but my neighbor's got it worse. You know, I mean, there's always that sort of bias you run into when you're discussing economic issues with individual people. So yeah, I, I would say don't read a whole lot into it, but it's definitely worth getting a feel from the ground and the frustrations are present. Uh, that's, I think the moral of the story is everybody's ready for 2019 to come to an end. That corn standing out of the field out there. I've seen an estimate there are probably 9 million acres. Now you're talking about the states of North Dakota, Michigan, and Wisconsin, but then as you pointed out, you have to throw in Ohio, the 3i league, 
as well. Yeah, uh, there's South still corn out there. There is. Yeah. There is. It does sound like growers are starting to get it wrapped up. Um, again, North Dakota, Michigan, Wisconsin, those places are the exception. It's going to be a real struggle. I did hear some good news, which was that Western South Dakota, Western North Dakota, due to all the moisture this year, they had ample hay production, which is, I think, something that should be positive news for a lot of our listeners or a lot of our viewers out there in Wisconsin, the dairymen in particular who have really struggled to put up a forage crop this year. There does sound like there's ample stocks of hay. It's just going really? to be expensive to get it mm. trucked from Wyoming, Western South Dakota, Western North Dakota, Montana, to the places that are going to need it, which I, from the folks I've talked to sound predominantly like dairy country in those that northern Corn Belt mix. Coming back to that uh, discussion about the economic challenges of mm-hmm. farmers, and especially the discussions with bankers. I saw your opinion the other day in a tweet that you don't feel there will be MFP payments in 2020. I'm getting awfully nervous about it. You know what I'm... I was... Tell me why. Well, because there have been a lot of studies. In fact, there have been four studies done here over the past month and a half that have shown that the economic impact of those MFP payments overvalued the damage of the trade war to soybeans. Now, I've talked to growers in North Dakota who felt like they were tremendously undervalued when it came to those MFP payments. So we can discuss the merits all we want. But when it comes to making policy max, as you well know, once these things get in the hand of legislators, studies like this, it makes it really hard to go back hat in hand and say, hey, we need it again because we're still struggling out on the farm. So I am very nervous that we're either not going to see uh, MFP payments come through in the future, or if we do, they're probably going to wind up being substantially reduced, which is going to make that will make a lot of lenders nervous. As you know, there are a lot of rabbits that can be pulled out of the hat by an incumbent administration. We see it whether they're not uh, it's a Republican in the White House or someone who is a Democrat in, in the White House, too. There could be those things, could there not, in 2020? Well, absolutely. And that was that was MFP this year. It was kind of a rabbit that was pulled out of a hat. They were funding it through the Commodity Credit Corporation, which is, you know, a New Deal era program. You know, they're they're moving a bunch of levers to make sure this money gets out. If there is going to be a year where payments do go out, I think you're exactly right. It will be during an election year, especially if we don't have a trade deal in place with China, which is sounding less and less likely. President Trump tweeted earlier this week that he is more than happy to wait until after the 2020 election before inking even phase one of a trade deal. And uh, without something like that in place, it's going to be tough for these markets to find a good reason to rally, given that we've just got tremendous oversupply in Nearly every commodity out there, Max. You see any weather challenges in the Southern Hemisphere, or are they doing just fine at the moment? Yeah, so far, they're doing just fine. So we just have a complete lack of headlines. Next week, uh, next Tuesday, we'll get the December USDA WASDE report. Usually, it's a snooze fest from USDA. Not expecting anything different this year, but, you know, everything's crazy this year. I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong. Love to see them reduce uh, corn stocks somehow, either through acreage or through yield. But uh, it's just... I'd hate to hang my hat on a bold prediction coming out of USDA in December. Final crop production numbers, actual for the year, are not due until January 10th. That's right. right. That's right. So that's when we'll get the final from the USDA. And maybe that will be the next thing to move these markets if we get a bullish revision on either corn or soybean stocks somehow. But it's just going to be a tough slog until then. There really isn't a lot of news that can move these markets one way or the other.
Not a lot of bullish news out there, but the good news is most of the bearish news is already priced in. So maybe there's not a whole lot of downside as we're looking out at these uh, these commodity markets right now. Max. So in summary, uh, other than maybe some kind of a developing weather problem that pops up here in the waning weeks of 2019 of the Southern Hemisphere, don't hold your breath for a Santa Claus rally. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold your breath. I think on the cattle side, maybe it's a little bit of a different picture. Uh, we have seen cattle pull back off their recent rally, but they do appear to be finding solid ground again. We've got the Tyson plant in Kansas coming back online. That brings more buyers into the cash market. That should be strengthening the uh, the futures trade right there. But um, yeah, on the grain side, I just have a tough time gazing into my crystal ball here, Max, of finding anything that can move us bigly one way or another. Global demand for beef looks good right now and pork. Looks fantastic. Chinese demand for beef is off the charts as Chinese pork prices have exploded due to their deaths with African swine fever. Um, They have switched to beef in a large way. Now, a lot of that demand has gone to South America. Uh, In fact, one of the big winners is Minerva, which is the third largest uh, South American packing plant. Their stock price is up 208% on the year because they've captured a lot of this Chinese demand. The good news is, I think, longer term, once consumers develop a taste for beef, especially quality beef, which is what we do raise here in the Western Hemisphere, I would argue that American beef is much higher quality than South American beef. But once the Chinese consumer gets that taste... I think they're going to keep coming back for it. And I think we're going to see beef stay on plates in China long term. Mike, we appreciate the visit. Always, Max. Happy to be here. Deck the halls and have a good time uh, during the holiday period. Always good to see you. Good to see you, too. Mike Pearson with Zayner in Chicago. Joining us here in the studio this weekend. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. The big news for agriculture came at the end of the week. A headline that said China will waive tariffs on some U.S. soybeans and pork in a goodwill gesture. That happened today. China said it will waive import tariffs for soybeans and pork shipments from the United States as the two sides try to thrash out the broader agreement to defuse the protracted trade war. The tariff waivers were based on applications by individual companies that, according to the Finance Ministry of China, citing a decision by the country's cabinet without specifying the quantities involved, Several industry sources in the U.S. and China interpreted the announcement as official confirmation of duty exemptions on up to 10 million tons of soybeans and an unknown volume of pork, that according to sources who were familiar with import uh, importer conversations earlier this year. And uh, one analyst here in the United States says there's nothing that is saying this is some big addition to what's been out there. China had imposed levies in response to tariffs launched by Washington 
over allegations that China steals and forces the transfer of American intellectual property to Chinese firms. Tariffs on U.S. soy imports currently 33%, while tariffs on pork are as high as 72%. The announcement did not trigger new U.S. soy purchases today, according to three U.S. soybean exporters, and the waivers come amid negotiations to conclude that Phase 1 deal between China and the United States. Though President Trump struck an upbeat tone on progress talks on Thursday, its new round of tariffs covering about $156 billion of Chinese imports still set to kick in just over a week from now on December 15th. But at least a little bit of a breakthrough, a little bit of positive news on the China-U.S. trade situation that we've had to be talking about now for at least a year and a half. So let's hope that it's more than just an indication of good faith that it will be something positive in getting phase one and eventually phase two of the uh, China-U.S. trade agreement. A note for dairy farmers this week, deadlines for dairy margin coverage program sign-up and market facilitation program payments are coming near for dairy farmers and the National Milk Producers Federation urging producers to visit their local farm service agency offices to take advantage of programs meant to provide risk management tools for farmers and provide some relief against financial hardship. Dairy margin coverage sign-up for 2020 coverage runs through Friday, December 13. The popular DMC program, which paid dairy farmers more than $308 million in benefits for 2019, offers insurance against low prices and high feed costs, and all farmers who signed up for 2019 are encouraged to re-enroll for 2020, given the unpredictability of dairy markets. And farmers who elected to enroll for the full five-year life of the program still need to visit their FSA office to keep their information current for the upcoming year. Also news from Washington, from the Department of Agriculture, it has announced details of the 96th Agricultural Outlook Forum program. That will take place, for those of you who want to plan ahead, it takes place February 20 and 21. It will be at the Crystal Gateway Marriott Hotel in Arlington, Virginia. Speakers will highlight some of the cutting-edge technologies and emerging trends and their implications for the future of agriculture. Topics include scientific advances in corporate food safety strategies and family and farming practices for extreme weather conditions. Theme of the 2020 Forum is Shaping the or the innovation imperative shaping the future of agriculture and uh, the lead-off speaker will be the chief economist 
Robert Johansson. He's chief economist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. As we take a look at uh, closing prices today in the, the marketplace, let's first of all go to the grain market. Soybean futures rose for a fourth consecutive session. As China said, it would waive import tariffs. Tariff waivers will be based on applications by individual companies for U.S. soybean and pork exports. The statement supported futures prices because China, the world's biggest soybean importer, has slashed purchases from the United States since the start of the country's trade war last year. So checking closing prices at the Board of Trade today, December wheat ended down three cents a bushel. The December corn contract ended a penny higher per bushel. And January soybeans gained four and three quarter cents a bushel in today's trade. Then taking a look at uh, the livestock story at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, there we found uh, lean hog contracts trading a little bit lower again today. Down for the February contract, 20 cents a hundredweight, ending the week at $67.55. As traders still have disappointment over the volume of imports of pork that are being made by China. So that market was down. The December live cattle market, though, was up 40 cents a hundredweight. Today, closing at $120.20. January feeder cattle ended the day up a dollar and a quarter. And that puts the January feeder cattle contract at $141.55. Well, once again, that weekly line, we're out of time. Thank you for joining us along with Max Armstrong, Orion Samuelson with you on The Markets. Thank you.